You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com or you're listening to one of Starburst Magazine's family of podcasts. Specifically, you're listening to The Bookworm. And I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Del today. So, hello. Um, On today's show, we will be talking about books. I'll be reviewing Half a King. And I'll be reviewing Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Uh, Coming up next, we will be talking about books that are coming out very soon. And those of you who have listened to many of these shows will kind of work out that that means that this is a pre-record. Oh yes, (laughs) myself and producer Al are hurtling down a motorway as we speak, probably. Or we're recovering from a hangover, maybe, depending. We'll, we'll, We'll get round to talking about that sort of nonsense at some point after after this sting. a day. Del, hi. We're talking hi, about new books that are coming out, apparently. Yes, we are. Should we mention, should we mention the, the Twitter feeds and the Tumblers and the, and the Facebooks and all that stuff whilst Ed faffs around? Uh, yeah, maybe we should. Uh, we're on all of those things. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we are Radio Bookworm. Yes. And on we every can, single one. Every, everything. We can be found on Facebook. We can be found on Tumblr. We can be found on Twitter. Yep. Uh, we have an iTunes and we have a Mixcloud. So if you've missed the show and you're desperate to hear our lovely, lovely voices once again, then we'd recommend that you listen to one of those Listen Again services and like, subscribe and, and whatever else you do on Mixcloud. Yes. Everything is on the Tumblr archive. Oh. So on, if you go onto Tumblr and you, you have a, click on download a show, uh, it'll point you to any of the formats that you can get onto our show, which is pretty much everything. Considering how long I've been kind of doing this with uh, Fab Radio International now I still am not clear if you would tumble us or what the version of that would be and it seems to be a kind of recurrent conversation that we seem to have What is the verb? Yeah, How, uh, like because you, you tweet people, you Facebook people I still think you tumble people. Give us a tumble we're yeah. always up for a tumble shall we say <laughs> let, 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 let's use that cheeky gag Um <laughs> See, have, you, have you finished faffing around, Ed? Would you like to talk about the books? Uh, given uh, the piece of paper that you asked me to pass to you three minutes ago. Uh, I, indeed, indeed. I will is pass it some. This list here? It is, but I will give this, these pieces of paper to producer Al because, oh. as we, as you know, we're a high tech radio station, so we're powered by bits of paper. Uh, I just had to fight the printer. I literally had to fight the printer. It grew arms and legs, and I had to get like a <laughs> tiny little sword out and fight the printer. So. But if it helps, we are called the bookworm, not the Kindle worm. So. Mm. That's true. Controversial. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> books that are coming out soon. Um, the true. Edge of Dawn by Melinda Snodgrass. Um, you will know Melinda Snodgrass through her association with the Wild Cards books. Um, you will know the Wild Cards books through their association with George Orwell Martin. Um, Snodgrass's fascinating series about modern day paladins taking on essentially Cthulhu. We say Eldritch Horrors, but it's Cthulhu, let's be honest. It's taking Cthulhu. on Cthulhu. Um, the, 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 the protagonist, Richard Oot. Was it Alt? Oot? Richard Alt? Hang on, is his name Dick Oot? That's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> oh dear! Oh, 
far too amused by that. <laughs> anyway, he's a paladin. Uh, he fights evil monsters. Uh, he's found this new paladin who can take on the paladin role, but unfortunately, the new paladin is only nine years old, so probably not tall enough to actually carry a broadsword. Um, modern day Edgedorn looks quite good. Um, what else is on there? Uh, Fool's Quest is on the bottom of this sheet. Uh, which is the the second book of Fitz and the Fool, the Robin Hobb series. So that's quite exciting, I think. We've got an interview uh, lined up at some point with <gasps> the author, not the author, we've talked to Robin Hobb already, with the creator of the covers. You know, those beautiful oh, covers. Oh, lovely. Uh, Jackie Morris we had a chat with a little while ago. Mm. We haven't put it live yet, but we'll get round to it. Because the, the, Fool's Quest being the second one is the first one, Fool's Assassin. Yes. Uh, oh, I knew a thing. Yay. <laughs> But the first one was just like because it starts out in such a because he's such a, a, a grim character is fit. Mm. He really he needs to cheer up. He never will. <laughs> and he's such a he's such a moody chap. Uh, and you know you read it and you go oh, I don't like what you've done with this. Oh, that's because Fitz is an idiot and he's he's taking the worst possible things from this rather than being happy that he's got a daughter. Uh, <laughs> Muppet. Which, to be fair, looking at the blurb for this, because I'm assuming daughter is B. Yeah. Yeah. So beloved B has been abducted by pale and mysterious raiders who spread chaos and. Pain oh, why are they always they pale and mysterious? Because Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robin Hobb travelled back in ta- forward in time, read the Twilight books, and went back in time to write. No, no. Um, uh, poor. Pale and Mysterious actually in fairness to Robin Hobb so she can toggle the colours of the characters okay fair enough if it's, um, if it's a thing if there's it's a, the actual device that's the, fine there's a whole thing with the Tony man fine um, I'll accept that and it's actually quite cleverly done and well played uh, well played Robin Hobb um, Zero World is uh, by Jason Hoff Jason Hoff has been doing all sorts of Jason Hoff does, does those books with those kind of classic sci-fi covers that you see in an airport so you're, like, you're wondering, and it's, this is a book with like you know a volcano on fire and a spaceship exploding, and you're just like, I'm reading that. <laughs> and then you read it. Because that'll be nice and relaxing on the plane. Uh, <laughs> and you read it, and it's got spaceships going boom, and, and uh, you know, giant space elevators going pop, and this sort because of thing. Because that'll be nice and relaxing on the plane. That's what you want. And so it's a, it's Don't a, think about the impending death. No, no, think about the cool super spy who's wandering around shooting bad guys whilst, you know hurtling through the atmosphere that's that's the sort of nonsense that he writes and this looks more of the same to be honest it looks quite fun um the long way to a small and angry planet yeah i've do you the the the, the blurb for this one sounds remarkably familiar to a wonderful thing that i really yes enjoy. it does doesn't it rosemary mm. harper is looking for a way to put the past behind her joining the crew of a battered old spaceship the wayfarer seems ideal it's an old spaceship held together with love and cunning, crewed by a ragtag band of misfits. Maybe she'll <laughs> find maybe she'll find <laughs> some sort of serenity in her journey. I think so. Maybe too soon. <laughs> it's not. It's, but it's, all of it, though. The, the more you read about the blurb, the more it yeah, just it, it really is. No, no, it can't possibly be a Firefly ripoff unless, of course, the, this is the first in the series and it gets cancelled. <laughs> oh, too soon. <laughs> it still hurts. Uh, moving, moving, moving on. The, lo- the, the long way to a small angry planet looks actually quite good. Um, yeah, like while I mock, I, 
there's a reason that that story is quite a warming idea. Like it's it sounds endearing. Um, and moving on, we have the latest Kelly Armstrong, which is Visions. Uh, Kelly Armstrong, we are big fans of. Obviously, she's done yet another supernatural thriller. Um, this has got this is all about serial killers and visions, and and a strange town. And um, yes, she's a what is she? She sees visions, and she, um, he's a, he's a morally ambiguous lawyer, and together they Ooh. fight crime. Basically, their 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 success so far has drawn some dark forces, which they will also have to fight. If you've read Kelly Armstrong stuff before, you pretty much know the score here. There's going to be some sexy times. There's going to be some action, and there's going to be all sorts of weirdness. And it's going to be very strong female focused, um, and a rollicking good read. I like a I like a good Kelly Armstrong. Mm. No, see, no one's complaining that they cancelled Bitten. <laughs> <sighs> Never mind. Um, Why are the lawyers always morally ambiguous? That's a good question. Law. That was my input. <laughs> why, why, why are they never actually shown filling in the reams of paperwork? I, I can dealing I, dealing see, with stupid companies. If, if, if you heard it, Edgar Wright is now sitting and writing a film about lawyers and paperwork. Yeah. You see, I, I actually I want to see that Thunderbird spin-off. <laughs> where it's all about the Thunderbirds' lawyers, because obviously the Thunderbirds go around saving people mm-hmm. uh, and violating various patents and, and legal <laughs> legal boundaries and all sorts of legal issues to do with international law and international rescue. But we never see the episode of Thunderbirds, which is just like twelve puppets sitting around at a desk drinking tea and carefully mocking forms and making telephone conversations. That's because it was it was probably pen. all John. Was it John who was on the space station? John Tracy, am I making that one up? I, I can't remember if it was I, the big one. There was one of the Tracy puppets manned the space station, and it was essentially because the creator of Thunderbirds didn't like the puppet. Any. I'm sure you told me oh, that. He, yeah, the, yeah. that character is a bit more in the the, uh, the reboot. In the reboot, he's all he gets loads of time because space stations are interesting. Yeah, and, and he gets to do. But he's, he's, he's on a space station far away. I don't like him, so he's clearly the one that does the paperwork. But he's doing all the things of look, that thing's on fire. You should go and fix it. He hasn't got time to fill in form sixty seven T one B. That's that. That's going to be like another Tracy. Maybe it's the Tracy sisters. We never see them. <laughs> to be to be fair, if you think about that program. I think that's what's happening. Well, it's because they are not Tracy sisters, they're all, they're all sons. Maybe they don't look very nice in pink, so they just have no place. <sighs> that's profoundly unfair. Producer Al's brain starts dribbling out of it. That's profoundly unfair. Because the, the only, actually, the only character in... There's River, a girl in the reboot. Yeah, there's, there's a girl in the um, the original, Lady Penelope. Well, because there's this, two girls in the reboot. The Lady Penelope is the Three, most, if you include Grandma. Lady Penelope is the most competent character all the way through. She yes. always has been. She's the super spy. She's she's the one who knows what We've she's doing. We've got off on a tangent. Let's get back to the books. We've got off on a tangent. But no, um, she was always one of my favourites. Anyway, uh... Giant books, books. Anyway, yeah, book, book of, of giants. Book of giants. Uh, Sounds this... exceptionally exciting. It does. It's got giants in it. Yes. Um, and pretty, pretty pictures. Very pretty pictures. It's Peter. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. Is it Marcel Zizia? Marcel Zizia. Marcel Zizia. I'm not um, sure. It's, uh, uh, it, it's almost self-published in the sense it's been crowdfunded and put together. Ooh. He's well known for his oh, fantasy wow. coffee table art. Mm. Um, it looks. We looked at this a little while ago. It looks beautiful. Um, oh. And it's these, <gasps> these little set stories about giants as well. So uh, I 
think his plan is to go through various fantasy creatures starting with giants but he likes that's he awesome. has, a, has an obsession with giants specifically I like the idea of like an overarching story but with little little stories kind of yeah that mosaic storytelling yeah I think that just everything about this just sounds wonderful sounds very pretty mm. and, and also the sort of thing that just sits on your coffee table and then people come into your house and go oh it's really pretty and you go yep yes yes it is yes, that's, it is. that's what it's for uh, <laughs> Terry Pratchett's Discworld 2016 Diary Practical Manual for Modern Riches uh, The Shepherd's Cohen of course is coming out uh, shortly after that um, no idea if that's going to be the last of the diaries they've not said oh yeah good point so they, they've uh, you know because Shepherd's Crown will be the officially the last Terry Pratchett novel and the mm. last Discworld novel yeah but the diaries are something else so diaries all you need to do is just is, quote it, stuff is that books. technically mm. a spin-off because if it is then it's okay it's like a franchise marketing mm. thing I don't know Mm. We'll find out. We'll find we'll out. Find we'll, out. We'll let you know in 2017, I suppose, or 2016. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this time next year, come back to us. And um, award-winning author Aliette de Boudard, who I keep calling Aliette de Boudibou, and I really shouldn't because that's not fair, uh, returns with the House of Shattered Wings. Uh, the Streets of Paris are haunted, following a great magical wall. It's Aliette de Boudard. It's going to be dreamlike and fantastical. And some idiot in the Guardian is going to describe it as magical realism, whilst not understanding what magical realism really is. <laughs> and it's going to be awesome and wonderful. And if you like Aliette de Boudard, you'll absolutely adore us. And if you can't get away with her writing, then you won't. Um, but we look forward to either reviewing it or looking at it going now uh, and doing something else instead. But um, she does deserve the award she's won. She's very good. The alternative. Got something to share? Want to get your message heard? Fab Radio International can help you reach the right audience with our range of targeted advertising and sponsorship packages. Find out more by clicking the advertise link on FabRadioInternational.com and get in touch today. So, a little while ago, we talked about um, the Shattered Sea series um, by Joe Abercrombie, and we're pleased to announce that that it's coming to an end. Uh, (laughs) We started with Half a King, then we had Half a World, now we have Half a War. It was inevitable, we knew it was coming, we knew that the High King wasn't going to tolerate the nonsense of the Gatlanders, and the Gatlanders were going to have to fight for every inch of land and their freedom. Um... So, what is it about? Well, it's about 400 pages long. Um, and like every other Joe Abercrombie Shattered Sea novel, what we get is we get the previous stories from the previous characters moved forward, and we also get introduced to two new characters. So, in this case, um, the setup for the series so far is this. Um, 
we have a, a vaguely Viking-esque, Anglo-Saxon-esque, Roman-esque world. At one point, they were elves. Elves had everything. They had skyscrapers. They had magic. They had all sorts of brilliant stuff. And then they pressed the wrong button somewhere, and it all went wrong, and the gods were shattered, and the world is slowly but surely building itself back together, and mankind still cannot match the glory of the elves. That to one side... What's actually happening in the immediate politics is the High King is trying to take over the world through politics and domination. Meanwhile, uh, the Getlanders, who are much smarter and much smaller, want to keep their independence, and have also invented a thing that other people are describing as elf magic. They've invented paper money, which is a wonderful way of handling currency and trade. They also happen to have most of their allies in the major trade points. So... War was inevitable. Also, Farvi Yarvi, or, or the half king, Yarvi the, ha- the half king, the guy with the crippled hand, has an agenda. He wants to kill the high king because the high king enge- engineered the situation that killed his family, almost killed him. He has an oath of vengeance. He has made a moon oath and a sun oath, which are unbreakable oaths apparently in this world. So. That's going forward, it's all getting set up. He has got his allies, he's got all his friends set up. And the story introduces us to Princess Scara, who is a very young girl. She's 16 slash 17, and she's the surviving member of the royal family of what is essentially, for point of reference, the Suez Canal. Her her town is, her her uh, city, her her. her her country is the the bottleneck point between all these nations um as the story begins she's been ousted her family have been killed um a creature called bright yelling has turned up and basically murdered and butchered everyone in sight um and she is on the back foot with help from her allies she gets her lands back and she has to now she's only young she has to now be a queen and she has to cope with being a queen. Luckily, one of the other kings has gone, well, this guy is a bit dim and he's a bit useless, but do you know what? He's a really good fighter and he'll look after you. He's loyal to me like a dog. He'll be loyal to you like a dog because I tell him to be so. Uh, in comes Raki, Raki and Ravi, who are great characters, uh, the two brothers, and yeah, she sits there and goes, mm, you're a very nice, fit young man, and I'm, uh, I've got loads of power. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder what I can do with that and that ass. So that plot goes on. Can you say that again, please? <laughs> so that plot goes on and that story goes on. Meanwhile, we've got other stuff going on. So we, we follow on the story about Fawn Batu and Brand, and I'm still angry, Mr. Abercrombie, and you know why I'm still angry. But that particular plot line also gets resolved and gets taken forward. Um, Everything that you expect to get resolved sort of gets resolved one way or another. Um, we find out more about the Elflands. We find out more about the thing that ended the world the first time around and the mistakes that they make. They Did I enjoy it? Did I enjoy uh, Half a War? Yes. Did I rip through it at high speed? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Was it as good as Half a King? Uh, no, actually. Uh, Half a King was so bright and new and so shiny that I, I couldn't resist it. Half a King uh Half a King was, was was just, you know, brilliant character, engaging character. 
I pretty much read Half a War because I wanted to know how Yarby's story ended. I'm still on a high from the first two books going forward. Is this a great conclusion? Yes. Is it a strong novel? Yes. Is it as good as the first one? No. Is it as good as the (laughs) second one? Not really, but it brings, it makes, it actually, by being the end piece, it makes the second one better. If that makes sense, right? It, it kind of it modifies your memories of the second one, so you understand its context better. And by finishing those stories, it, it what it does is it, it serves as an excellent spice to the previous two novels, whilst not really because it introduces two new characters that we want to know more about. But there's not enough run up to explore their stories because it's the last book, uh. so they don't get they don't get the same sort of run up that Yavi gets. They don't get the same sort of run up that Fawn Batu gets. Mm. They they don't get you know they don't get the same same experiences as Bran gets. They just don't get that development because there's no space and there's more space spent on developing the characters that you already love. So we look at Princess Scar and we go, well, you you know you're nice and you're interesting and we like what you've done. But yeah, no, get back to phone. We want to know more about what's going on with phone. We want to know what's happening with the brand uh, and so on. We want to know more about what's going on in the Elflands. I found myself almost skipping past certain key bits because I wanted to know more about the characters I was more familiar with, which, is that my fault? Well, of course it is. But is that <laughs> is that a feeling in the writing? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard not to do that. Um, is it accessible? Yes. Is it fun? Yes. Should you read it? Well, you should read the other two first and then read this one. So, yes. Um, <laughs> is, it, is it intimidatingly large? Yes, but it's really easy to read. So, eh, you know, it looks big, but it's not really. It's got big borders, like large margins. It has. <laughs> I've well, just noticed. The version I'm waving around in my house, in my house, in my hand, the version I'm waving around in my hand, of course, is an arc copy as well, so it's all shiny. Uh, um, it's very, very pretty. It's very pretty. That's the one they should make. Well, the one that's actually, the, the hardcover that's actually out has flames and looks kind of looks kind of jet, to be honest. It's kind of like this dark artifact. So that works quite well. It, mm. it, it fills in the theme from the previous books. But they've done the same with the arcs as well, where they, they're all shiny. They've got big board letters saying, yes, no, do this. So, yes, um, that is available on Hot Voyager. Um, it's by Joe Abercrombie. We will get him on the show at some point. Um, this is a pre-record, so we might have already had him on the show. Uh, and tantalising. And it's called Half a Walk. I listen to FabRadioInternational.com We got to talk to Victoria Aviard. Um, apologies a little bit for the sound. She was in a cafe at the time when we were talking to her. So if there's a little bit of background noise, we're very sorry. Victoria Aviard, welcome to the Bookworm. Hi, thanks for having me. What can you tell us about Red Queen? <laughs> um, well, Red Queen is a young, the first novel in a young adult series um, about a girl who discovers that she can control lightning. And basically, she lives in a world where um, sort of superpowered people rule over the normal humans, and she, because of this discovery, has to sort of join the world she doesn't want to be a part of. 
How have you taken comparisons to the likes of The Selection and The Hunger Games? Yeah, I've gotten a couple of different ones. They throw in um, Game of Thrones and Hunger Games and The Selection and Graceling. Pretty much all of them are just fantastic comparisons to have. I'm just excited that people will mention those books in the same breath as mine. Why science fiction? I've always been into big worlds, so I've always been a huge fantasy and sci-fi reader. Um, as a kid, I was really into like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and that kind of thing. And then I went to college for screenwriting. And um, I came out the other end wanting to write a book. And I had uh, this idea. I had a single image of a girl who uh, was about to be executed. But instead, um, she turns things around and murders her executioner with uh, a lightning power that she has. And I was like, oh, I like that image a lot. Um, how do I write a story about it? And the rest of it just kind of grew from that idea. Why do we like stories about superpowered people so much? I think it's a little bit of wish fulfillment on our part. We've all been teenagers who have kind of been in a situation where, like, I wish I was better than what I am now, and uh, superpowers are sort of the realization of every kind of dream. I mean, who hasn't wanted to give somebody a zap once in a while? Do young adult novels work without a romance element? Do we really need romance in young adult novels? Um, I think it's possible. I think it's more fun when there's a romance element involved. Um, as long as there's a balance, I think that's what you always have to strike for, is um, a good uh, good balance between the romance and the action. And I tend to lean a little bit more to the action side of things. What's next? Um, the next book is coming out on February 9th, so I'm really excited. That's pretty much done. Um, I'm also writing novellas right now that are going to be released in the fall and early winter. And uh, I'm getting ready to dive into the third book in the series pretty soon. So we're staying in the same world? Yes, yes. They're uh, from the point of view of different characters that have been established in the world already. So it'll be nice to get a sort of different perspective. The movie rights for Red Queen sold very quickly. What's the story behind that? (laughs) Um, Well, the film option is at Universal Pictures, which is really exciting. Um, We sold those about two weeks after the manuscript sold to HarperCollins. It's sort of um, the du jour thing in Hollywood to uh, jump on all the new projects as early as you can and try and get in the door at the ground level. Um, I also work in uh, Los Angeles. I'm a screenwriter too, so it was really fun to see that other side of the career kind of go. How different is script writing from writing a novel? Well, um, there's kind of pros and cons to each side. The mediums are just so different, so uh, they demand different things. Screenplays are obviously more visual. Um, they're, they're shorter. Uh, you have to be able to tell a story in a very limited amount of space. But... Um, you also get to communicate things a lot faster and rely on storytelling elements you can't necessarily rely on in a book. And then, of course, in a book, it takes a lot longer to write, but you have more time with the characters, more time to establish a world. So um, they're both great, and they both suck at the same time. What would you say your influences are? (laughs) So many books. Um, um, I'm a total Tolkien nerd, but I don't think I could ever have come up with Lord of the Rings. I'm just really happy it exists. Um, I'm also really into um, A Song of Ice and Fire, the Game of Thrones books. Those are absolutely fantastic, and I guess I'm going to try and write books like that for the rest of my life. Why is the geek on the rise? <laughs> um, I don't know. 
maybe we're just more aware now and people are like, it's okay to like things that are considered geeky or people just don't care anymore and are like, I'm not going to hide that I know way too much about Westeros. If you got to play in someone else's sandpit, which sandpit would you like to play in? I said Game of Thrones, I said Lord of the Rings, um, probably Harry Potter, maybe Star Wars. I would love to be in the Star Wars sandpit. What one tip do you have for writers? Um, I guess sort of write what you want to read or what you want to see. It's really easy to tell when someone's writing to trend or to what someone else wants. And it's just not so personal and you can tell that the work doesn't speak to the author as well as it should. If you got to save one book for the future of mankind, what would it be? Uh, that would probably be Lord of the Rings. Number one, it's a really long book, so um, I'm getting a lot for my uh, my one book save. Plus, it's kind of the watershed of fantasy, so it'd be really nice to get that from the fire. Simpsons or Futurama? Uh, Simpsons. The power to wield lightning or the power to control fire? Mm, uh, I gotta go with lightning. Truth or beauty? I'd say truth, I think. Victoria Aviard, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. FabRadioInternational.com So I'm going to be talking to you today about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter by Seth Graham Smith, um, published by Corsair, who I kind of had a bit of a moment then when I was like, I, I don't think I, I know of, of Corsair. Um, but, and then I just started having happy pirate Doctor Who moments. I, I, <laughs> I, I like the idea that even though they're almost certainly an imprint of one of the big five, I like the idea that actually what they are is an imprint that leaps upon other imprints and goes, <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, Seth Graham Smith is also the guy who wrote Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So when I started reading this book, I was expecting just to read an entertaining piece of fiction, um, about action-y vampires and yay Abraham Lincoln for some reason being the hero of, of that story. Um... And actually, what I got was an exceptionally interesting story and a really, really wonderful read um, to the point that I actually genuinely was recommending it to loads of people while they looked at me like I was mental. Um, Because as a concept, that sounds weird. Like, why pick a historical figure and just be like, yay, you can be my hero? Um, But actually, what... I mean, what, what this is, is... Kind of, yeah, there's, there's no other way of putting it really apart from an, an interesting and, and wonderful read. Um, the story starts with the actual, actually, um, piece, a piece of work from the, the supposed author of the book, um, where a man comes to him and says that kind of read his writing and thinks he'd be interested in, in what he has to say. And he's like, I want you to create this biography of Abraham Lincoln. And he leaves him a pile of notes and, like, secret, never-before-seen diaries from, like, the 16th president of the United States. Um, And the man 
promptly leaves. So the guy's going through these notes, realises that for some reason they're notes about the, the president and vampires and that that's ridiculous until he finds a photo of Abraham Lincoln with the man who has just presented him with these notes. And then he gets interested. And then the rest of the story is the book, is the, the biography that he creates based on these secret diaries and notes. And this, I mean, as said, I was expecting just like some action fiction. But what what has actually been created is an exceptionally well-researched piece of, 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 of yes, fiction. But it's like um, Seth Graham Smith has looked at... Because in the time of Abraham Lincoln, there was massive social change in America like kind of leading up to his birth, massive like during his lifetime. Um, as well as that, obviously, America was going through a massive political kind of change as well because um, during like Abraham Lincoln's time as president, there was the American Civil War um, and also Abraham Lincoln's life and just looked at all of it and gone, could I explain this with vampires? And he has, and it actually absolutely makes work, makes sense, and it it really works. Like it's been done so well. Um, so things like the the start of Abraham Lincoln's life and introduction to vampires, um, the world knows that uh, Nancy Lincoln, Abraham's mother, died of milk sickness, which was essentially if you drank milk that um, from a cow that had eaten a particular plant, it used to poison the milk, um, and like loads of people died from it at that time. Or was she poisoned by a vampire because his dad couldn't pay his debts? Was she given just enough vampire blood to kill her, but not turn her into a vampire? Ah. And then uh, eventually small, small Abraham's dad kind of confesses the truth to him later in life. So Abraham tracks down the vampire that kills his mother and, and kills said vampire. Um, realizes that killing vampires is maybe quite a good way a good thing to do because vampires are bad um and then one day goes and tries to kill some other vampires but he didn't realize how weak the vampire who killed his mother was and is easily overpowered um but is saved by a man called henry sturges um who later it turns out was able to overpower those vampires because henry sturges is himself a vampire and Henry Sturges explains to him that there are vampires who literally want to just destroy the world and just eat people. And then there are vampires that are actually quite happy living in the world that they live in. Um, and they don't have that inherently kind of evil side because they're like, the world actually works quite well and we have quite a nice place in it. Um, and he wants to preserve that and he doesn't want it to change. And he, Henry Sturges is the man at the beginning of this book who gives the the man who writes the biography the, the notes and the diaries. Um and then just as as Abraham's going through his, his young life, Henry sends him notes that have a name and address and a time. And Abraham goes to those places and kills those those vampires. Um, it's really interesting. There is uh, there are certain elements uh, later in the story where you do kind of get that who watches the watchman kind of thing. Um, so kind of, yeah, certain questions are raised Um but it is exceptionally interesting that apparently you can look at Abraham Lincoln's life, you can look at America at that time, and you can put all of it down to vampires. Uh, like his first love, Anne Rutledge, did her fiancé kill her, her ex-fiancé kill her because he was really sad that she was now Abraham Lincoln's fiancé? 
or did vampires turn that man into a vampire knowing he would kill her and that would really upset Abraham who'd been going around and killing a lot of them? You don't know. You just don't know. That's the mark of a good conspiracy theory. Oh my God, it's brilliant. It's so good. Like, you know, when you're you're like, after a while, there are certain bits where you're like, I know it's fiction, but this is so plausibly (laughs) wonderful. Like, it's been, it has genuinely been so well thought out. Um, So things like... um, like because it's it's well documented that Abraham Lincoln and Edgar Allan Poe had like a relationship, kind of like they were friends, and so it's like yeah, that's because they, like Edgar Allan Poe also knew about vampires. So why wouldn't you be friends with other humans who know about vampires? I think that's pretty important. Edgar Allan Poe is the person who explains to him about social change in Europe, and all of a sudden, how many people were were kind of coming over from Europe, and that was because Europe started kicking the vampires out. So yeah, Europe. Yep, Europe not happy about vampiring anymore. So the vampires were coming to America. Um, Abraham Lincoln had an exceptionally famous uh, debate with a man called Stephen A. Douglas. Um, it's like the the Lincoln Douglas debate um, when he was trying to run for U.S. Senate. He didn't win that debate. He didn't get that that seat. But that debate was what gave, like, what kind of gained Abraham Lincoln loads of respect from loads of other politicians. And that is actually what led to his presidential nomination um, for the, the Republican Party, because they were like, he was so impassioned. And the reason that we know that he was so impassioned was because the whole of this debate was, and the, the, his fire behind it was about abolition, because obviously Abraham Lincoln, massive abolitionist, um, is that because he's a nice person and he wants to free slaves? Could be. Or is it because vampires use the slave trade and that's why they're all coming to America? Because that's people they can just buy. It's like a supermarket. Oh, exactly. So, it's yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It, you can explain it all with vampires. Were the first uh, battles of the, the Civil War when, when the Unionists didn't do too well because they weren't very good? Or was it because the Confederates had vampires in their army? It's it's all there, guys. Um, I know I'm now selling it like it's a bit of a joke. It's genuinely not. It's a wonderful, wonderful read, and I, um, I, I, as I said, think it's wonderful that this guy has managed to have these thoughts and actually create a wonderful piece of story. Um, but I was talking to one of my friends about it because I've never really understood American politics. Um, I've tried to learn like American history, never really got it. And I mean, this—I don't know if it was an intended byproduct, but I learned so much about America <laughs> at that time. I understand that system. I understand the Civil War now. I learned absolutely loads about the various battles and how different things work and like different positions within the White House from reading this story. And that's a wonderful educational tool, so I think. He, so who's it by? And who, um, what's uh, it by? Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter by Seth Graham Smith, uh, published by Corsair. Definitely worth putting on your list. the world 24 hours a day this is Fab Radio International
I love the way that with vampire stories, especially, you can kind of you can change the dial on history. Mm. So one of the ones, I, um, World of Darkness, which is Martin Haugen's baby, his version of vampires goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain is the first killer. Ah. He's cursed by God to be a vampire because he's the first murderer. Yeah, so that's the, it. That's his mark. So that's his mark. The mark of Cain ah. is vampirism, and then obviously he goes off. He he makes other vampires, uh, <laughs> and he's like, "Don't make any more." And they're like, "Okay," and then off they okay. <laughs> Off they do, oh, and they, they, they go and make... pesky vampires. <laughs> and they make all the various uh, biblical tribes of man, and they, you know, each one of them is connected in some way to the various tribes of man, and then they kind of spread out across the world in various different ways. And that allowed Mark Winhaugen, when he was creating his stuff, to say, right, well, uh, Helen of Troy was a vampire, because she had supernatural be- she was supernaturally <laughs> beautiful... Amazing. Uh, and Menelaus was also a vampire from an opposing vampire family, and that's why all of this happened. And Paris was Helen's ghoul. Um, you know, she controlled him using using her blood magics. Um, and the, the Dark Ages happened because of this. And the, essentially, it's that that idea of you know that that kind of additional spice to history. Amazing. I would, I would say actually uh, trying to tie the two books together which is an almost impossible task but I'm going to try it anyway um, The Thing of Half a War is the thing I found really interesting is when they go to the elf ruins and this is a slight spoiler I kept thinking of them as and I think I was supposed to I kept thinking of them as because they were like elf magics these are elf magics these are strange mysterious elf magics uh, here is this vault that can only be opened by, by waving some bangles around and pressing these buttons uh, these runes even and I'm sitting there going is that a bunker? <laughs> is, 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 that a, is that a bunker and is this magical stick actually a rocket launcher? <laughs> or does it just work like a rocket launcher? It actually is a magical wand but it works like a rocket launcher because it work you know because that's our point of reference for yeah. a weapon of mass destruction from from the elflands or is it you know how how does this actually you know is that a lightning staff that summons lightning or is it just a big tesla coil <laughs> uh, and and how can we because the description is left vague enough i think for the it's a quite a common trope in fantasy actually to say here is a here is a magical magical piece of armor with four four wheels um, and then, and the strange rune on the front, which looks a bit like a V and a W, uh, and it goes forward. Uh, and it's like, well, is that a car? Is that actually not? Is it actually it was something slightly different? Uh, I kind of I, I like that playing of the dial of history and also playing with readers' expectations. Nice, nice, yay, yay but. for books that manage things. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a movie as well, which I'm assuming has oh, nothing to do with. No, no, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, the film, is has come from this novel. Um, it, I was really disappointed, I have to say. Um, cause I've, and I, I know a lot of people disagree, but I am the sort of person that I would rather watch a film than read the book, because the book will never disappoint me. Um, and people are like, oh, but then you know the ending. And it's like, you rarely do. And it's, books it's will nev- never disappoint you. Yeah, books will never disappoint Greg's you. Greg's will never judge you. <laughs> and, um, it, uh, yeah, it just it didn't it didn't hold up. I don't think it wasn't as actiony as the book. They left out the bits that made the book so wonderful. And I think there was the the film was too much fiction. 
because that's what most audiences want to see and I think they missed a trick with the kind of taking an opportunity to maybe educate people there's a I think there's a this is kind of a half-formed thought really but there's a whole effort equation when it comes to art whereas it's a massive amount of effort to produce a movie on the part of the people who are making the movie oh yeah it's a huge production but um, it's not any effort at all to watch a movie it's really easy you just sit down and you watch it you have to pay attention whereas a book is an active process it's an yeah. active I, I was saying this a little while ago it's an active passive process in the sense that what you're essentially doing is working really hard to allow someone else's thought processes to take over your thought processes, processes for a while as a form of entertainment mm. but you have to when you think when you put it that way that's a bit creepy someone, <laughs> else, so, someone else is thinking for you that's a bit weird but that, that's how reading works that's how reading fiction works you're allowing someone else's storytelling to, to take over your thought processes and you're working to make that happen and it's a, it's one person's massive effort to produce a book but it's also a, a, a job of work to read yes and yeah. even 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 if you read an awful lot it's still effort it still takes quite a lot of mental energy to, to read so I think because you put more energy into it you always get something out whereas yeah. movies all the work has already been done for you mm. so yeah it will always be to be honest, it's more rewarding to produce something. It's more produ- rewarding to produce a, like a, a short. I've not produced a movie. I've produced short, short films before. Uh, it's more rewarding to do that than to watch the thing. <laughs> 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 to be honest, in the same way that you know, it's really rewarding to write, uh, but it's as re- almost as rewarding to read because you get mm. to read when you're writing anyway. So I think maybe there's an effort equation there where you know, the movie, the movies will never be as good as the book. No, because the effort's not there. But I do because I think sometimes you can see films that are re- that are trying to hold up, and they've made really calculated judgments and decisions as to what to include and what to to leave out. So, like things like um, Catching Fire, the second Hunger Games film. Um, as I was watching it when we left the cinema, I was like, that genuinely is almost like the perfect film. Like there were certain bits that, like my favorite bits in the book that weren't in the film but I can understand why they weren't included and you can get like it's you get that justification and then there were bits I was like they had no reason to leave those in but simply just because of the fact that they're beautiful they were there and I think that was that was wonderful and just this book that that the, the film of, of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter just because so I think it's only about an hour and a half long but then the book is only 336 pages um they missed a trick and I think they concentrated on the wrong elements which is a shame. It's it, it, normally with, with horror action stuff, they concentrate on the horror action because it's easier to do. Mm. Um, here's a comparison that you uh, that you've probably never done before. You might have never heard before: uh, the Naked Lunch mm. and the Hunger Games. The, the both movie productions have the thing in common that though they don't really reflect the direct text, they do reflect the spirit of the work and therefore yes, work. Absolutely. Get get the spirit and get the ethos and the soul of of the story, and th- things become forgivable because at least it's because you understand it. You know, there's an entire conversation about the Watchmen we should make at some point, but not today because we're <laughs> going to have to go. Not today. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Exclusive to Fab Radio International.
and that was the show if you enjoyed it don't forget to comment on iTunes or follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters I've been your host Ed Fortune and I've been Del The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine presented by Ed Fortune and Rebecca Derrick produced by A.L. Johnson Thank you.